This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Uh, today is our, our second Reconnect Sunday. Uh, you might have been here in May when we had our first one. This one's completely different to the first one. Um, but it's been our, our vision for the whole year is to be about reconnecting, reconnecting with one another, reconnecting with God, uh, reconnecting with our local area, with our community, um, all about reconnection. Uh, it's, I guess it's kind of obvious we've had a lot of disconnection um, over the last few years, so we're all about reconnecting today. And the real focus today is about reconnecting with our connect groups. So what I've done is I've roped in these five lovely people um, who are all in connect groups and can share with all of you guys what it's like to be in a group. Because you might not have ever been in a connect group before, uh, or you might have been in one a long time ago, but you don't, you don't really know what it would be like to get into it. So I thought rather than me just telling you you should get into a connect group, um, I'd let you hear from a diversity of voices. So um, should we just go down the line? Are you happy to start, Megan? This is Megan. Um, Megan, uh, you're in a connect group. I am, yes. How, how long have you been in a connect group for? Can you answer that one for me? Because I'm actually not sure. I think it's six been months. like six months. Yeah. yeah. And this is your first ever experience of it being in is. this kind of group? Yes. I've never been part of a connect group before because I've never really been part of a church community before. Yeah. Um, so I've really enjoyed um, getting to know people a little bit better. I feel like this is the most friendly, family-friendly church I've been to ever. Um, and it's just been, it's really helped me find a sense of community, particularly after the last couple of years and not being very involved and being a new mum. Um, you know, we run into each other out and about and it's actually just really nice to be like, oh, we know people, that's so great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So you, 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 got, you got sucked into our Connect group pretty quickly after you started coming, yes. didn't you? Yes, <laughs> but that's okay because we all enjoy wine. Yes. Uh, and... <laughs> Um, we all live really close together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And our group, our group's quite unique because we have all of our very young children yes. with us during group time, which is chaos. They're, they're not too bad. Yeah. They were okay last week. They were. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember seeing them last week. Mine was locked in a cupboard somewhere. Oh, good. <laughs> we might move on from that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Beth, you, you've been in a connect group more than six months, is that right? Oh, yeah, about... Yeah. Well, here, I've been, I don't know how long, 15 years, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But altogether, 37. Yeah. Um, I run the... I'm in a group called KYB, which is Know Your Bible. Um, it was started 50 years ago, and it's where women... Sorry, men, you miss out. The women can get together and have a Bible study. Um, you've got, we've got books with seven days of passages and questions that you have to answer for the... But if you haven't done it, you can still come along and listen. Oh. Yeah, connect group with homework. Yeah, homework, yeah. yeah. For, a long, for a long while there, I did it at night because I was... And it was at our place at night because we had a group of us that worked during the day and um, that was good. But... It started here, I have no idea when it started here, but probably right from the start. And my dad and Jim Haslam used to mind the babies, the kids. That's so 
Yeah, so they were down the hall and the mums were up here and the mums got to do Bible study without their kids mm. screaming and they used to ride bikes and do all sorts of things, you know, so they really enjoyed it. My dad loved it. <laughs> and and what, what keeps you coming back all these years later? What, what do you value about it now in this stage of life, I guess? The ladies, mm-hmm. the people, like, because we can encourage each other. We can tell stories about <laughs> our families mm. or our, our things that have happened to us and how God's been in those situations and seen us through them. They're there to encourage us, to build us up. Mm. And, like, even though I'm supposed to be le- the leader, you know, there's some of them that are probably better than I am. Um, and they just cheer me on, mm. yeah. And if you ask Curly, she'll give you. <laughs> can you remember? Can you remember those two quotes that you gave us? <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was um, what happens in KYB stays in KYB. Um, she thought we all had to go out and kill somebody. <laughs> Or we had to create yeah, K- a... KYB, not what? KGB. Oh, okay. Or we had to create a riot. I don't care. Yeah. It was all came out of Paul. Yeah. It was all Paul's fault. Nathan, do you have anything to say about that? I don't know what happens there, but obviously it needs to stay at KYB. So, so Nathan... Yeah. Nathan, how, how long have you been part of a connect group? Yeah, yeah, ever since I started the, um, joining the church, I was about 20 mm-hmm. here. Um, so, yeah, just been, uh, about 25, no, 38, so, um, yeah. And, and how did that happen? Did someone invite you or did you fill out a form or do you remember what the uh, process did, was then? How did it happen? Um, I feel like we were the rogue Bible study for a while there, weren't we, Kirillie? So, um, me and Luke Skelton... We just didn't want to lead it one person, so we just shared it and started a Bible study with just our friends. So that was that was quite a long time ago. Um, and then <laughs> back then, Bible study used to go on a roster to do the welcoming and that sort of thing. So I say we were rogue because we never got on that roster. So we were like, yes. <laughs> no, that's a bit silly, but... <laughs> but yeah, so we, done, we did that for, I don't know, 10, 15 years in that group and... Yeah. Yep. And, and what do you value now about being in a connect group? What's kind of yeah, a highlight uh, for you? Yeah, I mean, I mean obviously, like, I um, think what Beth says, that life changes, so we had to modify over the change of life and do what the group needs and what you need. Um, what was your question? What do I... What do you value most about oh, it? what do I value? Look, I, I just find church is fantastic here on the Sunday and we listen to a sermon and someone speaks at us. And then I've, I have enjoyed when we do the studies, like what you've been doing on the sermon as well, because then we actually discuss it. And, and I sort of see is a church community, it's like the engine room of church. Mm. So it actually makes it real, and you actually can be real with people, but also be real with the scriptures and actually have more time to dig into it and be active in it rather than maybe passive and listening. So Great. You just preached my whole sermon, so <laughs> you can look forward to that in a minute. You probably know the questions by now, Graham. Sorry? You probably know the questions by now. Yes. We're doing the yeah. same format again. And well, how long have you been involved in Connect Groups? What's your, what's your history with it? Uh, well, we've been coming along here about seven years, I, I guess, since the new building, basically. Um, 
Now, I've been in, involved in two different groups in that time. Uh, the first group was with Matt Roberts when I first started getting involved in the group. And then the last five years, I suppose, I've been in Ian Berry's group, which is very convenient for us because it's uh, within walkable distance of our place. So, um, And at the beginning of this year, I, Ian and I have been sharing the leadership. Um, what I like about it is that we sort of do life together, really, as a group, and we've had uh, some new people come in the last uh, couple of months, so that's been great. And we've had people that have come and gone. Uh, the, the group actually morphed out of a group that uh, Carolyn Corkill was leading, uh, and it had young kids in it and that sort of stuff, so that dynamic's changed. Uh, we don't have young children in our group these days. Uh, we uh, often start off with prayer, so we'll go around the group and talk about what's happening in your life and what are the prayer points. Um, and then we'll go on to the study, which uh, is usually your study, Johnny. And I like the idea of doing the study before the sermon rather than after it, because the sermon sort of cements, perhaps, the things we've talked about in the, in the Connect group. Uh, and we also um, send out uh, the prayer points that were brought up in, in our little group, that is sent out to everybody by text, uh, so we can pray over that over the year, over the, over the week. Mm. Yeah, so that, that's been one of the great things about the group, I think. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Louise, lucky last. Okay. How long have you been involved with Connect Groups, do you think? Probably since I was a teenager. Yeah. So, pardon me if the details are hazy on how that one started, but... Um, Ditto everything that everyone said. I've been in the one with the kids running around. I've done KYB. I think I've been in a rogue group and now I'm in just one of the ones here. Mm. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's a full range. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything in particular that, that for you personally that really stands out as the thing that keeps you coming every week? Um, what Nathan said was, was probably true and probably the reason why. It's always just to get something extra that you're not getting from everywhere else. I mean, you mm. can read the Bible on your own. You can come and, and listen to the sermon and read books or whatever, and that's all good. And there, But there's something that you learn about anything, whether not just you know spiritual things, but if you've got anything going on in life, you sit down with a, with a few people and you... you you, you know, you nut it out, you shatter mm. it over and you come up with different ideas. Um, it's just a different way of learning and a different way of discovering and um, seeing things from different people's perspectives. You know, I've been in groups with people really different to me and I uh, uh, don't want it to come out wrong, but with people who I never would have chosen as friends. Not because I don't like them, but just that they're really, we just wouldn't have encountered one another, you know. They're mm. not the, exactly like me. I remember once when David and I were really young, we were like 20, 22 or something, we'd be picking up an old guy to go to a group because he was too old to drive. Um, and we were in the same group together. And just it's just different because you get to... You learn from people who are different to yourself. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Thank you all for sharing. Thank you for joining me in my pretend living room. Um, do you guys want to give them, give them a round of applause? Thanks for being brave and sharing with us. So that was a good little uh, taste. Uh, it, it works on multiple levels to have that little panel there because it was kind of a taste of what it looks like 
to be in a connect group in someone's living room uh, with a diverse group of people sitting around sharing different points of view, different ideas. Uh, it's a different, as you said, it's a different way of learning, a different way of connecting, uh, and you get to think, think about things from other people's perspectives. I want you to think about your closest friendships, uh, those deep connections that you have with people. Maybe it's a really close connection with a mother or a father. Uh, maybe it's your, a really close connection you have with a sister or a brother. Uh, maybe it's your best friend. Uh, for many people, it's, it's a romantic partner or a spouse, someone you do life with like that. I want you to kind of picture that, that person, that relationship in your mind. And I want you to think of what is it that you get out of that relationship? How does that relationship enrich your life? And how does it enrich the other person's life? It's good, I can hear you all thinking. We really need these deep human connections. They're vital to well-being. They're vital to mental health, to physical health, uh, to just general well-being and happiness. Um, I've been doing a little bit of research this week. Actually, more than this week. I've been reading books about this stuff all year. Uh, the very first week that I was on the payroll, when I first started here, and I hadn't even had a Sunday yet, I started on a Tuesday, and in the lead up to that Sunday, I went and I bought like half a dozen books about this stuff. Uh, so this is, this is a sermon that has been brewing all year. And this is the best possible place to start. At the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, God has made the world this beautiful poetic telling of the world being created. And then in chapter 2, there's another beautiful poetic kind of story of, of Adam and Eve. You, you probably vaguely know it, or maybe you know it really well. But there's this verse right in the middle of it where God has made Adam, but he hasn't made Eve yet. And he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. Our society knows this. This almost doesn't need writing in the Bible. We know that it's not good for people to be alone. Uh, but just in case you don't, the Australian Government's Institute of Health and Welfare studies this stuff. And they've done, they, they do this like regular recurring study. What do they call that? Longitudinal? Anyway, this big study about social isolation and loneliness. Uh, and they define social isolation as having minimal contact with other people in your life, and they say that that is different from loneliness, which is a subjective state of negative feelings about having a lower level of social contact than desired. So, being alone, being socially isolated, and feeling lonely are obviously related ideas, but they're not exactly the same categorically in the way they study this stuff. So you can be lonely with other people, and you can be alone and be okay with that. Does that make sense? But a lot of people, if they're alone, they feel lonely. That's normal. 
Anyway, they've done these studies, and they found that most Australians experience loneliness at some point in their lives. We all know what it feels like to be lonely. Maybe if you're like a little kid and you haven't had that experience yet, I'm really sorry, but it will come one day. And for everyone else, you have a memory of what it feels like to feel alone. And perhaps interestingly, I thought it was interesting, uh, the age group with the highest level of loneliness were 18 to 24-year-olds. Does that surprise you? Kind of surprised me. I'm like, they're always socializing, they're always seeing people. But then I stopped and I thought about it, and I thought about my own experience of being an 18 to 24-year-old, and I thought, oh yeah, actually that was a pretty lonely time. From, like, not that whole period, but there were lonely years in that time in my life too. About 30% of 18 to 24-year-olds reported feeling lonely, either occasionally or most of the time, when asked if they had felt lonely in the past week. So they just took a random sample, said, have you felt lonely in the past week? 30% said, most of the time this week or occasionally this week. Uh, Teenagers are also very lonely people, as are elderly people. See, relationships are incredibly enriching, and we know that. So what's going on? How is it that 30% of 18 to 24-year-olds feel lonely if they all know that they just need to get a relationship and then they won't be lonely anymore, right? But it's not easy, is it? It's not easy to form those deep connections with other people. Those connections are hard to come by and hard to keep. And I kind of want to acknowledge that for some of you in this room this morning or watching online, that's part of why you're here. That church is an opportunity to meet people, to connect with people, to form these connections and relationships that are going to be valuable and enriching. But also, let's name the other side of that coin, that sometimes relationships with people at church are particularly difficult. (laughs) Sometimes it's hard to spend time with people that you find challenging, people you don't have quite enough in common with, or people who just rub you up the wrong way. Uh, People who found their way to church because they're looking for healing and they're looking for forgiveness, and therefore they're, they're broken and they're prickly and they can be hard to get along with. Here we are gathered together with like 100 people in this room. Look around you. There are people sitting here this morning who you will naturally get along with, people who are like-minded, people you could have a deep connection with. But I wonder if anyone here can look around the room and say confidently, I have spoken to every single person in this room. What do you reckon? No. (laughs) So what are we doing wrong, right? There's something we're doing wrong here. I think the problem is that you're all sitting down there, silently, not talking, stop talking, you're all sitting there silently, and I'm standing up here doing all the talking. You're all in rows, you're all facing the front, you're not looking at each other unless I tell you to, and it's hard to connect in this kind of environment, in this context. Uh, There are good reasons we do church this way. Don't get me wrong, but in terms of this stuff, in terms of building these true connections with one another, this doesn't facilitate that 
almost at all, very little. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of letters that are in our Bible, he had a vision for how God's people should organize themselves, how we should form these connections and these relationships. Uh, He wrote in lots of places throughout the letters that he wrote to churches about his vision for what churches should do, how they should function, what their values should be, and how they should go about forming these true communities with one another. Uh, He laid it all out uh, particularly clearly uh, in the passage I'm going to read to you now, which is Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read just verses 1 to 16, which is on the screen. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So, Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. So there's a number of things to say about that. The first one uh, is this little list that appears right at the top in verses 1 and 2. Paul just begins rattling off a list of instructions, uh, and it's pretty quick fire. Blink and you miss it. He's saying, if you've received the calling of Jesus on your life, If you have heard about Jesus, if you've decided, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, I believe He's the Son of God, I believe He's died for me, if that's you, if you're someone who wants to follow Him, then, he says, be humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another. He goes on to say, be unified in the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's this bang, 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 quick fire listing. And actually, when you stop and think, if you have time to stop and think like we're doing now, about each of those instructions, 
Those are not things for an audience member to do. Those are things to do in relationships. You need another person to bear with them. And they're hard. I mean, can you really be humble and gentle always and completely? How do you do that? That's a big ask. Now, what do you do when you're tired or grumpy or frustrated? What do you do when you want to get your own way and that other person is stopping you and you get angry with them? How can you be patient when you're in a hurry, when there's things to do, when the other person is taking time away from you? How do you bear with one another in love? Do you know what that means? That means when that person has hurt you or when that person has let you down because of their imperfections, because of their failings, you don't write them off. You don't say, I'm better off without them. You keep on loving them anyway. So, he's not mincing his words, is he? (laughs) Bang, 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 bang. Quick fire and hard to take. Hard to do. And yeah, these things assume a togetherness, an active relationship with one another. You can't be gentle or patient on your own, or at least I guess you can, but it's super easy, right? We do these things as we relate with others, with flawed, difficult, challenging people. And yet, that is their joy. In spite of the difficulties, when you get this stuff right, the relationships that form are so precious and so valuable and so rich and so deep for everyone involved. And that's actually where Paul's going with this. In verses 3 to 6, he he talks about the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And and he kind of does this little poem about the number one. It's good to put maths and poetry together. Um, He says, "'Keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace.'" Even with that person who is difficult to get along with, keep the unity of the Spirit with the bond of peace. Even that person you fundamentally disagree with on some theological question, keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Maintain unity and peace among God's family because, well, because there is only one body. There is only one Spirit. There is only one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Did you get that? You could meditate on that all day. I could have done the whole sermon just on those couple of verses. Uh, We don't have time, unfortunately, to do that. You can do that for homework. Uh, We can be inspired by KYB and start doing church homework. So often in our world, we think as an individual, I have one body. I am one individual person. I have one individualized experience of God, experience of the Spirit, that is my relationship with God as an individual, and it's different from any of yours. 
I have my own faith. I believe the things that I believe, and they differ from the things that you believe. I have my own Jesus, my own God, and my own religion. And so there is not one of any of those things. We are many. We disagree, we fragment, we divide, we retreat and isolate from one another, and we become alone because each of us is our own one, rather than being part of the big one. It's a challenge, isn't it? Because it's kind of easier to be alone, except then when you're lonely, it's not easy to be alone. That's, that's the wrestle, isn't it? Are we getting that? I keep coming back around to that. I think we're starting to feel it now. And then, Paul, who is a genius with this stuff, he's just kind of explored our oneness and kind of as a, a response to the individualism of differentiating ourselves and saying, I am my own one. He's saying, no, we are all one body. We have one faith. We have one hope. We have one baptism. We have one Lord, one God. And then he says, but yet we are not all the same. Each of us is different. Each of us is differentiated. Each of us is unique. There is still a value to that diversity. In fact, the diversity is vital to the health of the unity. He gives us gifts. He says to each one of us, there's that word one again, but now it's each one. It's not the big one. It's each one. Each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, implied in the, in the phrase there, and the implications are a little harder to see in the English than it is in the Greek, but implied in it is this idea that the different gifts are apportioned to different people. That God, that Christ is giving, apportioning some gifts to these people and other gifts to those people, and that person gets this thing and that person gets that thing, and everyone gets something a little bit different and they're apportioned out. And each thing is vitally important to all the others. Calvin, the reformer from hundreds of years ago, put it this way. No member of the body of Christ is endowed with such perfection as to be able without the assistance of others to supply his own necessities or her own necessities. He's saying no one has all the gifts for the church to thrive. I can't do it. I don't have all the gifts. Lewis is very gifted, doesn't have all the gifts. Each of us needs all of the others. No one has all the gifts required for the church to thrive, which means I need each and every one of you. And no one comes without a gift. So... I can say in humility, you need me. And each of us can do the same. Each of you can sit there and you can look around this room and you can see, I need you. I need you. I need you. And you need me. Not because I'm awesome, 
not because I'm great, but because we all need all of us in our uniqueness. Paul goes on to tell us what those gifts are in verses 11 to 13. He starts listing them off. He starts kind of at the top, so to speak. Maybe he starts at the beginning is a better way of putting it, because it's not a hierarchy. But he starts with the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Uh, These are all the kind of leaders of various kinds, either official or unofficial. Uh, These are the people who equip the church as a whole. But the list is not complete. I almost feel like, like Paul kind of starts listing and then he kind of just trails off and moves on with his next thought. Um, there are other lists in other parts of the New Testament uh, from Paul as well uh, that have other roles and other gifts in them. It's, maybe this is like round one of gifts. Um, there are people, these are the people who help others to become the people God has called them to be. And in the end, he says everyone is doing what he calls works of service, whether they are these five people or everyone else. It's not important whether they're the followers or the leaders. The thing that matters is that the whole body is built up becoming mature. Uh, He puts it like this, he calls it, uh, and this is in verse 13, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the aim. Uh, the, The New Testament, the Bible has this idea that the church, these people, in all of their flawed imperfections, somehow by working together, are the representative of Jesus in the world, that there's a kind of perfection that we can do together that each of us in our imperfections could not do on our own. That's the picture. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we're hoping to attain, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, how do we do it? Model number one, You're seeing it in action right now. The preacher and the audience. Here I'm standing at this little table, and I'm giving you a lecture on how to live your life. And there you are, sitting there, trying to decide whether you like what I'm saying or not. Maybe you're sitting in a chair here, maybe you're sitting at home on your couch, Uh, maybe you're watching this back on YouTube later in the week and it's not even live. You are quiet, you are passive, hopefully you're listening, maybe you're not. Now, perhaps, from this passage, we could start to say, well, maybe Christ has given you the gift of this preacher for this moment. Maybe here I am as as a pastor, as a teacher, someone to equip you and build you up. And you as an individual can listen to what I teach you and be changed by it and equipped by it and built up by it and matured in it. That's great. That's what this is about. But I don't think this is all of what Paul had in mind when he was writing Ephesians chapter 4. 
You see, I think he was thinking of a unified body of all God's people serving one another, equipping and building themselves up together into unity and the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we need a second model. We need something to sit alongside model one, not instead of, not better than, but just to finish the picture. It's incomplete if this is all we do. How are we going to have people who are going to practice humility and patience with one another if they just sit and listen to the guy up the front? Model two is connected community. Imagine you're not sitting here in rows in silence listening to someone up the front, but you're sitting in a circle, maybe on some couches in someone's living room somewhere. Maybe it's your living room and you're hosting a bunch of people. Maybe you're visiting someone who lives up the street from you. You sit and you chat. You're active. They're listening to you. You're listening to them. It goes back and forth and over here and over there. You can share your thoughts. You can share your stories. You can share your feelings. Now you are perhaps an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher of the people you are sitting with, and they are of you too. And each of you together are equipping one another for works of service as a unified body, becoming mature together, growing up together as you connect with one another and with God. And that is where Paul comes into land on this passage. In verses 14 to 16, let me remind you, he says, then, when we're doing that, when we're in that connected community, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Infantile Christians are people who are easily blown around like a ship in a storm, pushed around by the waves, tossed back and forth by the wind, picking up bits and pieces of clever-sounding lies, deceitful schemes, he calls them. If you're a solo Christian, you can listen to me. You can jump on YouTube and listen to any other preachers you might like the sound of. You can get sucked into all sorts of strange and unhelpful conspiracy theories and weirdos. You know, it happens actually probably more today than it happened in Paul's day. It's that easy to get access to weird stuff out there. I know, because I do research when I'm writing a sermon, and sometimes you open up a website and you go, yeah, no, not that one. It's out there. It's a thing. How do you avoid that? What's the alternative model? Well, Paul says it here. We speak the truth to one another in love. 
We have these deep relationships that keep us grounded, sensible, solid, not tossed around by wind and waves, but solid on the ground. We grow putting down deep roots into this family of believers. We grow to become the mature body of Christ, joined and held together, not by our intellect, not by our ability to spot a fraud, but by one another, by those connections, by those relationships. Paul talks about being joined and held together by supporting ligaments, like bits of a body. Uh, He's getting very uh, biological. And these gifts that God has given to you and to your brothers and to your sisters, that you can use to serve them and they can use to serve you, and that keeps us together. We can grow and build ourselves up together into one thing as each part does its work. So, don't just be an audience member, I say to all of you who are audience members. It's okay to be an audience member from time to time, but I want to encourage you to be more than that, to get connected somehow. Now, that may be in a connect group like these lovely people were sharing with us before and like I keep banging on about. Um, It may be at, at your local KYB if you do your homework. It may be with a few friends that you just meet up casually in what was referred to quaintly as a rogue group, just to meet up and pray with each other. It might be a friend or two who you phone during the week just to check on how they're going. It might be those people you, you share parenting with. You, you babysit their kids and they babysit your kids. It may be those people you go on holiday with or that you hang out with at church camp, like that video we just saw at the gathering. Maybe it's the people you serve with, with on the coffee team or in the band. or Maybe it's people you teach kids' church with. Maybe it's that group of people you're going to go on short-term mission with. These are opportunities to do stuff together, to build these connections, to serve one another, and to be a servant and to be served. Whatever and wherever and however you find it, I want to encourage you this morning to find those deep connections. Don't just be an audience Christian. Get connected in. Because in spite of the many challenges of those connections, of doing Christian community, despite the, the broken and flawed people that you will have to put up with every day, this is the only way we can grow and be built up in love. This is the way it works. This is how you can live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So, with all that in mind, I think we should pray and we should sing and we should have lunch in that order. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, uh, we thank you for this church. Uh, We thank you for these people 
who love you and know you and who want to do this journey with you together. And God, I pray that you would be uh, teaching us how to do this well, how to do it with patience and love, uh, how to bear with one another, how to encourage one another and equip one another and build each other up, that you would teach us how to be unified, uh, even in our diversity, even in our difference. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would be working by your spirit to draw us together as your people, uh, to knit us together uh, into one body, uh, that we would be joined together by you. And Lord, I do pray, and it feels kind of crazy and bold to pray it, but I do pray that uh, as we do that, that you would be transforming us, uh, that we might attain to the fullness of Christ, that we might be able to do your work and to be your presence in this world uh, as we are drawn together as one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.